can we give them another hand? Praise the Lord for that. Kim did such an incredible job, and Malin and the whole choir. I'm going to ask my sweet wife and the blacks to make their way up here today. Let's give them a hand. Thank them again for coming down and being with us this morning. We're going to do something a little bit different this morning before we turn Kevin loose to really challenge us this morning about God's heart for the nations. Uh, I've always found that it's best to be able uh, to get to know people a little bit better, especially when it comes to some of our missionary friends and to be able to hear a little bit of their stories that that really enlightens our minds and our hearts to what God is doing among the nations. And so uh, I want to thank you guys again for coming and making your way uh, down. Uh, Kevin and Colette Black, some of you, how many ladies were here yesterday for Colette? Let's give her a hand. She did such a great job at Blessings and Biscuits, by the way. I took Kevin fishing uh, yesterday. He's a big fisherman. We went to Lake Gunnersville and we froze. Uh, and, uh, and we caught one fish and it was me. I caught it. You know, you feel that, you, you kind of feel bad being the host, you know, and you're the only one that catches a fish. I didn't feel that bad about it. Anyway, that, uh, but uh, we, had a, we had a great time and so thankful uh, to have you guys down. So, uh, Kevin, I'd love for you to start off, man, just kind of introduce you and Colette, yeah. share a little bit about who y'all are and, and uh, how you've uh, served in the past, your call to missions and kind of what that, yeah. all that looks yeah, like. Yeah, there's a lot to cover right there. Yeah, yeah. We'll get her, we'll get her done. Yeah. Um, so Kevin and Colette Black, we have three children, Aaron, Jacob, and Gabriel, and they're married and, and um, have grandchildren, and uh, we have grandchildren. They don't have grandchildren. We have their Anyway, you know what I'm talking <laughs> about. So, uh, so just life for us, we grew up in Oregon, spent many years living in Oregon, and then God just moved us from Oregon to Missouri, and there's a lot going on right here that I'm going to skip over. Uh, but we just knew God moved us to this little town in southwest Missouri, to encounter God and encounter missions. And so we did that. In the year, two, year 1993, we moved to Missouri and spent seven years there, engaged, just living out that life that we thought God wanted us to live. I, I'm a carpenter, and I build cabinets and furniture. I did that prior to going to the field. Got involved in a church there. Colette's a counselor by occupation. She was doing some of that there with the church. And, and, uh, and then um, about seven years into that life, of what we thought was the American life. Uh, the church had a, had a missions conference, very similar to what's happening here today, but, uh, but it was five days long. Started on a Wednesday, ended on a, ended on a Sunday. And as, a, as teaching a Sunday school class, and we, I was a deacon in the church, and, and living out what I thought, we thought, was the American church life, Christian life, we, we had begun praying months early for that moment, for those five days when we were going to get to encounter God and encounter missions. And we prayed fervently. I, we did as leaders of the Sunday school class that God would call somebody out of that class during those five days. And, and he did. It wasn't who we thought was going to be called out. Uh, it ended up being us. And so on that Sunday night, the end of that conference, during the, what, what they call the life commitment time, Colette and I and our three little kids walked forward and said, we're going to go to the nations. Up to that point, our only cross-cultural engagement was Canada, and that was on vacation. <laughs> so we had never been overseas, never been on a trip overseas. Uh, but eight months after that moment, when we said yes to missions and knew, really knew nothing about that, uh, we landed in Saigon, Vietnam wow. with our three little kids and uh, with the International Mission Board and spent 12 years there then and then s some years back in the States. And now um, we're, we're on staff at the Summit Church in Arkansas. That's how we met Zach and Kimberly and uh, serving there as, as the global missions pastor. So that's sort of, that's sort of 60 years 
Uh, in, Good job, by the way. I yeah. Well, well done. Um, I will say this. Kevin and Colette kind of have that reputation. If you go to lunch with them, you get launched to the nations. And uh, and they are. I mean, they, they uh, have such a heart for the Lord and such a heart for the gospel. But they don't just do that among the nations. Uh, they do that right where we are to the point to where yesterday, impromptu, after the ladies' meeting, Colette loaded up a bunch of little girls uh, from our church. And uh, they went down to the international market and, and, and got to share Jesus with some people and our little girls girls got to see that. One of the things that was so great was one of the questions from the little girls um, was, and these are good Christian little girls that go to our church, you know, was how do we know that Jesus is the one true God? And so Miss Collette was able to just walk them into that. You know, we'll go back to Noah and who was the first family. And so this is to give them a biblical answer. And Kimberly and I were talking about that afterwards that, you know, the, the God may not call everybody to go, uh, but being willing to put your yes on the table to expose our children to God's work among the nations, our children are going to ask that question one day. They're going to ask the question, when, how do we know that our God is the one true God? We want them to know that we're not afraid of that question. In fact, we're okay to enter into that pretty early on. And so, uh, man, we're so thankful for that. So, Colette, I have a question for you. Can you tell us the story of your call to serve the gospel among the nations from a mother's perspective, taking your three children overseas? Okay, that includes a lot of worry, (laughs) a lot of abandoning that worry to the Lord and trusting your kids to to God. So, um, you know, we'll hear um, a little bit later from Kevin, you know, a lot of the whole missional call is letting go. And that's true for mothers, too. When we get to the field, we start worrying about everything, diseases, accidents, education, um, friendship, socialization, there's just so many things. And I mentioned this in the first service that as soon as we got to the field, the, the people who were there, the missionaries who were already there, who were helping us get settled, brought us these little red boxes and said, now you need to give these to your kids. We were like, okay, what is it? It was worm medicine. And you start thinking, what have I done that I've brought my kids to a place where they have to take word medicine? But you know what? Never hurt them a bit. <laughs> and um, it was great to offer that yeah. to them, um, offer the exposure right. to them. Mm-hmm. And now they've came back to the United States, and uh, they struggled to drive. And it scared us again <laughs> because we drove motorbikes when we were um, overseas. You look like a Harley person. I mean, oh, I can yeah. just tell that. that yeah. I'm a Harley. My daughter and I would ride on one bike, and Kevin and the two boys would ride on the other bike. And my daughter and I called ourselves biker chicks for Jesus. <laughs> I love it. Could you share a story with us to um, help us understand the level of lostness that you guys were? exposed to and even even now as you help serve alongside people as they go to the nations yeah I think that one thing that impacts me the most about lostness is just the the bodies of people that you see when you get outside the United States Um, this is why even just trips are good for us to go on um, because you see masses of people not just a few or small communities. These are, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. In our city alone, there were 10 million people. 
and it's all crammed into, uh, Kevin was mentioning in the earlier service, it's all crammed into a space about the, well, there's about nine, no, tell them. <laughs> <laughs> so Vietnam is stretched in a little narrow country, but if you were to smush it all together, it would be about the size of Arkansas. Arkansas has about three million people in it. Vietnam has about 90 million people. So take the size of Arkansas, take that population, multiply it by 30, and put them all in Arkansas. So 90 million in one little state. Yeah, like so that's like the whole state of Vietnam, our country of Vietnam. But, you know, this is just masses of people that you cannot wrap your mind around. But when we got off of the airplane and, you know, big long flight, 30 some hours with these three little kids in tow and um, we were trusting the Lord even in that part of the adventure with kids. Can you imagine? <laughs> and so when we got there and we were just faced with the heat of the tropics, the, the dirt, the grime, um, it is interesting to take your kids into places that are really dirty mm -hmm. and dangerous. Um, but with how much luggage again? Oh yeah, twenty-two <laughs> suitcases. But quit judging me. Miss <laughs> Colette loves Jesus, and apparently she's a hoarder. So there you go. <laughs> we had a lot of we, toothpaste we, with it. We, no. we had to take a lot of homeschool supplies. But anyway, when we stepped off of that plane and we just hit those masses of people, you just start thinking that in that area that just as far as your eyes could see, you were probably the only person that had the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in you. So that, first of all, it made the task seem insurmountable. And we had to really size down our expectations of and we needed our church to be praying for us yeah, because the size of that task and the scope of that lostness yeah. was unimaginable. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I love about y'all's story is you guys were just regular people. I mean, I, you know, this is... We still are. I mean, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, that's the, but I mean, the, the going to the nations, always we think about, oh, it's got to be these people who are so culturally cool or, you know, that those type of people, you know, that maybe they've been to seminary or maybe they, the fact that y'all had never been out of the, the continental United States and eight months later, you're, you're in a communist country sharing the gospel and so many struggles and all, even having to learn the language and they're unbelievably fluent in the language. Um, so uh, we've seen them Skype with some friends. I would love, by the way, I'm putting you on the spot here. Could, could you quote like John 3.16 in Vietnamese yeah. or something? Can, can, can yeah. you do that? Yeah. Awesome. All right, we're going to do this. It's going to be great. So it's, Vì Đức Chúa Trời yêu thương Thái Giang đến nỗi đã bạn còn một cuộc ngày. Hay ai tiến chúa không bị hứa mật nhưng có cuộc sống đời đời. Let's give her a big hand for that, by the way. Praise the Lord. I asked in the first service, I asked in the first service if she knew how to say roll tide in Vietnamese. And I don't think it translates, Kevin. Yeah, so. I didn't, I couldn't, I, the whole tide thing. I yeah. couldn't figure out how to, yeah. ocean tide, roll, or, I mean, spring roll. Spring roll, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, if you I say roll tide in Vietnamese, you're probably ordering sushi. So anyway. Right. Um, you very well could be. Yeah. True. Um, Kevin, I know that going to these places, and you guys saw a, saw a lot of success and are now still seeing that. Um, Colette just shared the story even just here recently about a friend uh, that they were able to seek to, to lead to faith in Christ uh, and that now 
uh, they still Skype and they're still leading faith, people to faith yeah. in Christ. Yeah, she really is. She's way more fruitful than I ever was in Vietnam. In, well, we were in Vietnam. And she just continues to share. And as I pour into her, um, she's pouring into others. And it just shows you that it's not really about us. Yeah. It's really about just the next generation, the next person um, being obedient and yeah. being faithful. And, you know, you, you can never underestimate the power of the gospel when it's shared. Mm. And so she has seen several of her family members and friends come to know the Lord. Praise the Lord for that. Yeah. Let's give a big hand for that. Praise the Lord. Uh, well, Kevin, uh, before we kick it over to you, you know, one of the things, especially like in a communist nation, when you, when you go there, again, the hope is that you're able to lead nationals to faith in Christ like uh, your mm-hmm. friend that's able now to continue, you know, uh, reciprocating that. Um, Kevin, share a little bit just about the faith of nationals in a, yeah. in a country that's a communist country yeah. and, yeah. and the, the such small percentage of what that yeah. looks like. Yeah. Thanks, Zach. So it's, uh, you know, there, there's, this, there's this fallacy that we live with sometimes when we go to a cross, go cross culture, and that's that we're taking God with us to these places. And and I realized in, with a, in a couple years in, it took me that long to learn this lesson, that God had been there since the beginning of time. He had just invited us into that moment, into those years with what he was already doing. And that was revealed to me in a moment that I had because we couldn't go out and freely evangelize and, and, and walk all over Vietnam. There's still some residual issues because of the war and with the ethnic minority groups that are there and the government trying to oppress them. And so I couldn't go into those groups. I couldn't go travel freely. Um, so the strategy was, let's find, some, let's find some great men of God, nationals, and empower them to go into these places where I couldn't go. So we had four men who did that. They would, I'd meet with them every month and, and then they would go out. They lived in these areas and they'd go out and they would, they would plant churches and they would evangelize and disciple and do all these amazing things. Well, after, after a couple of years of this, I thought, you know, I, I want to see what they're doing. I mean, I want to get out there and see. I mean, I, I was called, we were called to this country and I'm sitting in Saigon living vicariously through all of these, these men. I want to go see it. And so one of the pastors, national pastors I worked with said, Kevin, I think we can do this. We're going to have to travel about six hours outside of Saigon or Ho Chi Minh City, they call it now. And we're going to have to uh, do it in the dark. But I think we can go, take a car and go into this, this area in Central Highlands and we can go into, the, into a place where some people are gathered, some local believers are gathered. So we did. We got in a car, drove about six hours up in the mountains. And at night we pulled off, the, got up in the mountains, pulled off the side of the road. It's pitch black. I couldn't see anything. My mind is racing all over the place. Like, what, what is, I trust this guy, but I have no idea who this driver is. Um, but we pulled off on the side of the road and out through the dirt and the brush and the trees, I could see this little wooden shack and there was a light. You could see coming through the cracks in the boards. And the man I was with, he said, we're going to go there. And I'm... This, I don't know, but we're going to do it. So we get out of the car, we go down through the brush, and we go back into this place. And I open the door of this little wooden one-room shack, having no idea what I was going to see. But what I saw was about 30 believers on a late Saturday night. It was about midnight when we got there. That were surrounding this little room, sitting on the dirt floor with a Bible in their hand, studying the Word of God. 
And they had trekked for hours to get to that place. And when they were done learning, they were going to trek back to their villages so that they could be there on Sunday morning to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was at that moment when I realized I really have no idea what I'm doing, but that God, God is out there in those places, in North Korea, in Afghanistan, in South Sudan, in Syria, where all we hear and all we see is war and depravity and, and communism and lostness. But I'm here to tell you, God is at work in those places. And we got to see a glimpse of that. Amen. Praise the Lord. for the, Let's give a big hand for that, yeah. by the way. Um, Kevin, Kevin told me a story yesterday that uh, he's, he's actually been in North Korea before, uh, which is kind of crazy to even, even hear that. And so, uh, but with that being said, man, we, we want to, to be able to have you come because this is my heart just as your pastor. We want to do something like this once a year. We're praying that we would be a people that go from our neighbors to the nations. That, and God may not call everybody to go, but I truly believe that if, if we don't live like I would be willing to go to Saigon or go to one of these places, then we're, we're, not, as, we're not as good here as where God called us to be. Yeah. That we've got to, we, we live with our yes on the table. It's just full surrender in all areas of yeah. life. And so, yeah. Kevin, love for you to come, man, and open up God's word with us yep. and give us a challenge here. Let's give them a Let's big hand. It. Thank you so much. Well, there was a moment yesterday on Guntersville that, uh, and I'm, I'm probably not saying it correctly, all I know is I was on Guntersville, Lake Guntersville yesterday, which for a bass fisherman is like, uh, I would, I would give you the angelic voices, but I can't do that. I thought that moment was going to occur yesterday. Zach did catch the only fish we caught. Um, but we pulled up to the dock. We were getting ready to pull out and go, go have lunch, and I pulled up to the dock, and there was a couple of guys on the dock wearing, you know, the Alabama hats, and of course, Zach on his hat. You had, it was an Alabama hat, wasn't it? It wasn't an Arkansas hat. It was an Alabama hat. Yeah. So anyway we were so I was in the boat and and uh and with Josh who took us and uh these guys are on the south you know they're on the dock with his and they're talking to some people and Zach's over there talking to him and I thought you know I'm going to segue to the gospel with these men I mean we're not that far apart I can move into a gospel conversation so I said go hogs and I thought you know that didn't go anywhere right that did not transition to the gospel as I'm sitting in this boat saying go hogs to these men they just turned at me and looked at me like you are an idiot um but no, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to transition to the gospel. I thought I would just try to be funny, and I realized that, doesn't, that is not funny. Um, but I'm not a Hogs fan anyway, so uh, that's okay. Well, it's, it is great to be here and to be with Zach and Kimberly and uh, spend time with them. You have, if you haven't already figured that out, you have some of the finest folks to lead your church to the next season, the next level. And we, as the Summit Church in Arkansas, or they were, that's how we met. I'm on staff there at the church, and um, Colette is as well. We met them. We were sad to see them go. But we're also celebrating in this moment for who you have to lead you in the next season of Enon Baptist Church, which I'm confident to say will have a greater global missional footprint than maybe ever before. I don't know your history, but every church can take a step forward when it comes to global missions. So, 
I'm going to talk about that. Surprise, right? You got the global mission pastor in front of you. It's Global Engaged Sunday. I'm going to talk about missions. So hang with me because I, end up, I may end up stepping on a few toes this morning. I apologize for that. I leave. We leave tomorrow. So if I do happen to step on some toes, just take it up with Zach. He will, he will take care of whatever I said in the moment. But what I'm, what I'm going to challenge you with this morning is what motivates us, what motivates you as followers of Jesus Christ to do more for the kingdom? Now, a lot of things motivate us, right? I mean, I love to fish. That motivates me. Um, we just bought a travel trailer. We love to go RVing. Uh, we, love to go, we love camping. Those things motivate me. But what I'm talking about this morning is what deep down in our soul as devoted followers of Jesus Christ motivate us for the kingdom. Is it the hundreds of millions of people around the world who have no access to the gospel? They've never heard the name of Jesus? Does that motivate you? Is it the 70 million deaf people around the world? Now, I know people in many ways, have never thought about deaf people unless you have someone in your family who's deaf. But there are 70 million deaf people around the world with less than 2% of them are believers in Jesus Christ. For a deaf person around the world to be deaf in many cultures is to be ostracized, is to be put aside to live out their life ostracized. They will never hear the name of Jesus Sometimes our response is, well, just get them a Bible. But for deaf people, this is their second language. Sign language is their first language. Reading is their second language. And many times they don't understand what's in this word. Does that break your heart? Recently, I say recently, over the past year or so, more than that, actually, while we were prior to, prior to Little Rock, we were in Nashville, Tennessee on staff at a church and became very involved in, with refugee ministry there. Is it the 60 people per hour who are being displaced worldwide every hour of every day that are being displaced from their homes? I'm not talking about the immigrant crisis at the border. Those are people who have chosen to leave their home and to come to a better place. I'm talking about the people who want to stay in Afghanistan, who want to stay in Syria, who want to stay in South Sudan, but cannot because of war, because of famine, because of starvation, because of persecution. And they're living, for many of them, it's years, it's years, the average is 17 years from the point they've, they've forced out of their home to when they land in Canada or America or Sweden, 17 years is the average time that they're going to spend in a refugee camp. Many young children of refugees are born in those camps. Does that break your heart? Does that motivate us? Now, I hear this one a lot. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to address some things. I'm going to get to them in just a minute. But I wanted to talk about this one for a second. And again, I may step on some toes. And if I do, Zach, you know who Zach is. He's right here. Um, this is one thing I hear a lot is, well, we have, we have lost people right here. We have lost people right here in America, and that is true. But those lost people have you. 
those lost people have you. And the other millions of Americans who are evangelical Christians, the lost people in America have you. The hundreds of millions of people around the world who have never heard the name of Jesus have no one. Does that motivate you? They motivate us and they challenge us, but do they really move us? Do they really move us to the point where where you're sitting today can no longer be the place you sit next week or the week after? Many people ask Colette and I, what, what was that calling like? What was that moment when, you know, you're, you're building houses and you're building cabinets and furniture and Colette's doing a wonderful counseling ministry at our church and all this seemed to be going so well. And people say, what, what, did, what did God do in your life to, to, to change that trajectory? And this is what he did. He broke, my heart, he broke our hearts for the nations and we knew that we couldn't stay there anymore. We didn't know what the world meant. We didn't know what Vietnam looked like. We didn't know anything about anything. But we knew one thing, and that was we couldn't stay there. We had to go. We had to go somewhere. I want to talk for a few minutes about just the things that keep people from going. Because I'm convinced without a doubt from all the times I've spoken, for all the, all the mission conferences I've been to, working with, with missionaries, doing everything that we've done over the past 20-some years, that, that, that the Holy Spirit is in this place today, and he's calling someone of you, some of you to go. And you may be 20, you may be 30, you may be 40. We were 39 years old when we stepped out of the pew and said, Lord, we have no idea what this means but we're going to go. But I want to talk this morning about some things that keep us from doing that. And one of those is poor theology. You know, theology is just the study of God, right? If we look at Matthew 28, which is the most common passage of Scripture preached by, in mission conferences and mission sermons around the world, I'm, I'm guessing. It, I know I've heard it a ton of times. Matthew 28, 18 says this. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Not to me. To Jesus. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We have read this, and we have read this, and we have read this, and we have preached on it, and you have listened to sermons about it, and you can probably quote it, this passage of Scripture. We call it the Great Commission. I'm here to tell you we, we, we probably, this is, a, this is not a general condemnation. This is not, I'm not trying to put you on a guilt trip. I'm trying to preach to you this morning from what I believe the Holy Spirit gave to me. We should call it the Great Omission. That passage, if we truly thought about it in our heart, that passage applies to everyone but me. It applies to everyone but you. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's for a select few. That's for those people who have prayed enough, they've read enough, they've studied enough, they've done enough quiet time where they have arrived at this place where God says, it's you now and you should go. No, I'm not saying that's not it at all. God is looking for obedient people. So I am saying sometimes our theology of missions is messed up. Throughout scripture we see God's calling on people to go and to engage. I want to move through these pretty quickly. I just have a couple more. And this one he really hits closer to home for many of you and many people. And that is lack of family support. I don't know how many times we've had conversations with people who come to us later on in years and they say, you know, as a 16-year-old girl, as an 18-year-old boy, I was called to missions, but my mom and dad said no. My mom and dad said, it will, and these are words that we've heard, not from our parents. We had great parents when it came to sending us. If you go to the nations, you will break my heart. Lack of family support keeps people who are called by Jesus to go, it keeps them from going. Why should the Mormons, who send out 70,000 missionaries, by the way, Southern Baptists send out about 30, we have about 3,600 on the field right now. Mormons have 70,000. This is not the case across the board, but I'm saying for many of our people who are called by Jesus, what they get from their home, from their family, is if you go to the nations, you'll break my heart. For a Mormon, for a 20-year-old man, Mormon man, who knows that his calling is to the nations at some point after school, he gets a letter in the mail. It's sort of like a gender reveal. He gets a letter in the mail. He gathers his family together for a party. He reopens the letter and he says, I am called to China. And it's, this, it's a party. That family celebrates that moment with that man who is going to go and proclaim a false gospel. Why shouldn't we celebrate when our 20-year-old and our 30-year-old and our 40-year-old who want to go to the nations, we need to celebrate those moments and not say things like, if you go to the mission field, you'll break my heart. Many of those kids, when they were infants, were held on a stage similar to this by their mom and dad. And they were dedicated to the Lord. Said, Lord, this child is yours. And then that child turns 20 or 30 or 40, and they want to go on the mission field. And all of a sudden, that doesn't apply anymore. Why is that? They're truly dedicated to the Lord. Then we need to step into that place and give them support. There's no reason, absolutely no reason, that the Mormons are sending 70,000 false proclaimers of the false gospel around the nation, and we're sending 3,600 people, which I am very grateful for. The International Mission Board is the, is the largest sending organization in the world. We love to partner with them. I'm not condemning them. I'm saying, why 3,600? 
Can we send 70,000? Probably. So how do we change this trajectory? How do we change these moments when we, and those are just two things that I hear, some poor theology and lack of family support. These are things that I hear and we hear when we're talking to young people, which we do on, on many days of the week, each week, um, the Summit Church has about 36 adults out on the field long term and many more who want to go. We have many conversations with people who want to go. But many times they're told or they don't understand why their parents aren't pushing or encouraging. So we have to let go. You're going to find a great theologian in Zach Reno. You're going to find a man who will proclaim the gospel and he will push you out to go to the nations. So get ready. Get ready, Enon Baptist Church. So what do we do? A couple minutes. And I know you've heard this phrase a hundred times, but we can't say it enough. You have to live out the gospel. We can't be people who are like the Dead Sea, where we have, the Dead Sea gets water in, but it doesn't, there's no water goes out. That's why it's called the Dead Sea. We get the gospel and we hoard the gospel. We love to be blessed, but we don't always want to be a blessing. We can't be people who hoard the gospel. We have to live out the gospel if Luke 19, 10 says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, does it end with Jesus seeking and saving the lost? No. We must seek the lost and lead them to Jesus. That's how we live out the gospel, among many things. You're going to hear next week about local engage, how you can live out the gospel locally We truly are, we truly should be people who seek the lost and lead them to Jesus. So I'm going to wrap this up by saying, for some of you, I believe the Lord is asking you to go. And when I say go, I'm not talking about a short-term trip, although I do believe you do need to do those things. I'm talking about people who are, you're sitting here today knowing that you can go long-term. You can give up the comfort and conveniences of your life in America and go. We didn't think we could 20-some years ago, but I'll never forget those moments when we had the yard sale and people came into our home and bought everything we owned. I was sort of glad to get rid of a lot of those things, but we did end up loading up 22 suitcases of stuff and taking it to Vietnam. For some, it means going committing your life to the task among the nations. For some, it could mean giving sacrificially above and beyond your tithe to missions. And for all of you, it should mean praying for the nations and for missionaries. Outside on the table, you're going to find some wonderful, wonderful IMB missionaries who we met many years ago in Southeast Asia. You want to pray? You want to go? You want to give? See them. They'll get you lined out. I wish they had time to tell their story. Both of them have spent over 45 years of their life overseas. From being raised cross-culturally 
to coming back to the States to go to university, and now over 30 years on the field. They're the finest we have. But for those of you who were, felt called to go, don't shrink back and think, I'll stay and pray or I'll stay and give. Those are wonderful things. But if you're called to go, you need to go. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to show a, a video that I, I'm sure will challenge you. It does me every time I watch it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for how you call us to the nations. You empower us to go. Even those of us who have never, had never stepped foot anywhere, you, you, you give us what we need to go, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You call us to go places that we're not equipped to go, but yet you're already there and in inviting us into that moment. And Father, for those sitting in the pew today that know for a fact they can't go, I ask that you, that you just move in their heart right now to commit to pray for the nations and for workers. And for those in this pew today that, are, that believe they are to be called, Father, I pray against the enemy and the enemy's voice in their lives or in the lives of their family that they could go where you've called them to go. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the footprint it has on the nations. More importantly, the footprint it's going going to have on the nations in your kingdom. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's what I see. I see God's people surrounded by a world where The nation of Pakistan is still struggling from an earthquake that swallowed up 80,000 people just like that, almost all of whom did not know Christ. I see the nation of Indonesia, the world's largest Muslim-dominated nation, that over the last couple of years has seen a quarter of a million people die in natural disasters, tsunamis, and earthquakes, leaving hundreds of thousands of others homeless, susceptible to all kinds of diseases, and hungry. I see a nation like India, where there are more people living below the poverty line than there are people in the United States altogether. I see a world where half the people are living on less than $2 a day while we sit here, every single one of us, filthy rich compared to the rest of the world. See a world where our dogs and our cats are eating better than our brothers and sisters in the Sudan. Where last week, last week alone, 50,000 people died of AIDS. Last week alone, 100,000 children died of hunger-related diseases. In addition to hundreds of thousands of others that were trafficked around the world for human sexual exploitation. And our biggest concern last week was how our football team played. And on top of all of that, 
thousands upon thousands of our brothers and sisters who are imprisoned and persecuted in China and Laos, North Korea and Saudi Arabia. In addition to over a billion people who haven't even heard the name of Jesus that's on our lips. I see all of that. And then I look back and in the church I see so few of our churches risking everything for the mission. We have retreated. We have retreated into our nice big buildings where we sit in our nice cushioned pews and chairs where we are insulated and isolated from the inner cities and the spiritual lostness of the world where we've given a tip of our hats to world missions and evangelism as an optional program for the faithful few while we go on designing endless endless programs that revolve around us and when we should be on the firing lines for God, when our people should be on the firing lines for God, most of them are still in the nurseries of our churches drinking spiritual milk. With the mammoth needs of a world without Christ in front of us, and the glory of Christ in us. And we face two options. We can retreat from this mission into a land of religious formalism and wasted opportunity. Or we can risk everything to fulfill the divine purpose for which we have been created. And I say, let's risk it all. For the sake of a billion people who haven't heard his name, I say, let's risk it all. For the sake of millions in our country who are headed to a Christless eternity, I say let's risk it all. For the sake of the lost people you and I know and our families and our neighborhoods and our communities, let's risk it all. For the sake of our lives, our families, our churches, our children's lives, let's risk it all. Because ladies and gentlemen, let me remind you, the author of Hebrews is saying very clearly that Jesus is in the dirty places and he's in the dangerous places and he's in the despised places. That's where he is. You go to him, you follow him, that's where you go, outside the camp. You don't sit back in comfort. You go to the need. That's dying to comfort. It's dying to self. It's dying in our devotion. We are aliens and strangers on this earth, and we are looking for another country, a country that is not our own. And God is not ashamed to be called our God, because He has prepared a city for us. And we will suffer disgraces for the sake of Christ, because we are looking ahead to our reward. You go to the dirty and the despised and the dangerous, because you're convinced that the glory of Christ is worth it. Are we going to die in our religion? Or are we going to die in our devotion? Church family, that's a sobering moment. I think all of us really have to have that moment at some point in our life. I can remember about three years ago reading through a one-year Bible. And I came to the place where God called Abraham to go. And I remember in that moment asking the Lord, say, God, have I surrendered everything? 
to you. And in that moment, even kind of arguing, you know, God, I left Alabama once. I came to Arkansas. I mean, God, come on, you know. But again, in that moment, it was just that have I truly surrendered everything. And in that moment, I remember laying it out there. Kimberly came through the living room there and I was sitting in my chair and I was just overwhelmed. And I said, are are we willing, are we really willing to do anything that Jesus asked us to do? And she said, I think so. And I think so. So I just prayed and said, Lord, here it is. If you want us to go, we'll go. It doesn't make sense according to the plan. It doesn't make sense to anything else as far as world is concerned. When I think about our kids, when I think about so many other things, God, it, it doesn't make sense. But Lord, here it is. If you, if you want us to go to the nations, we will go. And there was an overwhelming sense of freedom in that surrender. And then it was like the Lord said, no, Zach, I, I, don't, I don't want you to go. But I'm sure glad that you're willing to give me that. Church family, I don't don't know what God's plan for our lives here today is. I I know that there's opportunity. I know that you can leave here today and you can go talk to to Ken and Jonja in the back of the room and they can tell you. Let me tell you, there's so many more opportunities for you to be able to go now. You can go short term. You can go midterm. You can go long term. Journeyman program used to be something that was just for college students. Now it's for those who open it up, even for empty nesters and people in their life. You can go midterm. Your kids are gone, man. You've got, you're healthy. You're retired. Why not go? Say, I'll go, I'll give two years, I'll give three years to the nations. And this is what it comes down to is do we believe that it's that Jesus is worth it? Are we willing to, to go? Are we willing to give? This Sunday, you can go online and give right now at EdenBaptistChurch.org. And when you go to uh, above your tithes and offerings, there's a place in the click now, and you can on the click now menu, you can designate to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, which goes directly to the International Mission Board. You can give financially, you can pray. And church family, come back tonight at six o'clock. Kevin and Colette are going to lead us in a time to pray for the nations. But all of that is secondary with starting and asking the question, God, do you want me to go? We got Thanksgiving this week. I love Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving food. (laughs) You know, one of the greatest things, one of the greatest measures of somebody who is truly thankful is do they give? You know, people that are full, they're just overflowing. They give. It's a good measure for our lives this weekend is how thankful are we really? How much do I give away to those around me? Time, love, support. Can I say one thing? The measure of our thankfulness to Jesus Our measure of the reality of Jesus is measured by how much we give. And sometimes that means, am I willing to give my life for the glory of Jesus? Do I really believe that this world is not my home? Do I really believe that I'll spend the rest of eternity with him? So this is a good question for us to begin asking today. So I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. Brother Ken's going to come. Our instrumentalists are coming. If you don't, let me say something to you here today again. You you can never go proclaim a Jesus that you don't know. So first and foremost, if you don't know Jesus here today, he's worth it. He's worthy of your life. He's worthy of your sacrifice. He's worthy of everything because he gave everything for you. And if you don't know him, you can call out to him in these next few moments. You can give your life to Jesus today and he'll save you and change you forever. 
This morning, if you need somebody to pray for you about something completely separate from the church, our pastors will be available. Our counselors will be here. If you need to join this church today, if you'd like to make Indian Baptist Church your church home, you feel free to come. But I would encourage you this morning, each and every one of us, let's start in asking that question. Jesus, is my yes on the table? Jesus, here's my blank check. Here's my life. This is a great moment to ask that today. Father, we love you this morning. I pray that as we sing, that God, you would lead us to respond in a way that honors you. God, would you speak and move even right now in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing, if you need to come, feel free to come.